Due to the graphic nature of this woman's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of gun violence, sexual assault, and suicide that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. In the early afternoon on March 31, 1995, 34-year-old Yolanda Saldivar sat in her truck outside the Days Inn Motel in Corpus Christi, Texas. A few people loitered in the lot, but none noticed the short, stocky woman in the parked car. There was nothing special about her, at least not on the surface. But internally, Yolanda was charged with emotion. She'd been betrayed and kicked to the curb by the most important woman in her life, 23-year-old Selena Quintanilla Perez, the reigning queen of Tejano music. Boiling over, Yolanda looked down to her lap, where her cell phone and a snub-nosed 38 caliber pistol lay. With shaky hands, she picked up the phone and called Selena. Selena answered almost right away. She'd been trying to get hold of Yolanda for hours. The older woman had the singer's financial documents, and Selena desperately wanted them back. Yolanda told Selena that she could come and get the papers now. She just needed to meet her at the Days Inn Motel, room 158, where she'd been staying, alone. From the other side of the line, Selena agreed. She would be back soon. Then she hung up. With a final deep breath, Yolanda grabbed the gun and stuffed it into her purse. Then she headed inside the motel. Picture a murderer, a gangster, a thief. Did you picture a woman? We didn't think so. Society associates men with dangerous crimes. But what happens when the perpetrator is female? Every Wednesday, we examine the psychology, motivations, and atrocities of female criminals. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and you're listening to Female Criminals, a ParCast original. You can find episodes of Female Criminals and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Female Criminals for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Female Criminals in the search bar. This is our first episode on Yolanda Saldivar, the woman who murdered superstar Selena Quintanilla. This week, we'll explore how Yolanda's innocent obsession with the singer turned into something far more sinister. Next week, we'll cover the tense nine-hour standoff between Yolanda and the police outside the crime scene. Then we'll discuss Yolanda's trial and her attempts to explain the killing. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. 
The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. In 1960, Mexican-American immigrants Frank and Juana Saldivar were raising a family in San Antonio, Texas. They were a devout Catholic couple with a large household, seven children, in fact. On September 19, 1960, they had their eighth and final child, a daughter named Yolanda. As the baby of the family, Yolanda was doted on by her parents, but it didn't mean she had an easy life. Although Yolanda's father had a steady job at a Mexican restaurant, his income was spread thin when it came to providing for a family of 10. As a result, the Saldivars frequently moved, looking for better deals on rent. Before Yolanda was 10 years old, she'd been enrolled in three different school districts. Starting a new school is tough for most kids, but it was particularly hard for Yolanda. She was small, chubby, and introverted, and her peers often made fun of her. With each move, Yolanda retreated further and further inward. The stress involved in trying to make friends and acclimate was simply too much for her. Before we continue with Yolanda's psychology, I'm not a licensed psychiatrist or psychologist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. Yolanda likely chose to be a loner out of fear of peer rejection, which is a common experience for children starting new schools. According to psychologist Shigeo Ishii, peer rejection can create psychological problems such as withdrawal and loneliness, and could have long-term consequences such as criminal activities in adulthood. While Yolanda didn't display any criminal behavior as a child, her withdrawal and retreat likely set the stage for it later in life. And in high school, her isolation only got worse. As her classmates began to date, Yolanda continued to spend much of her time alone. She was five feet tall, overweight, and felt invisible to everyone around her, except when they were bullying her. All of this led her to have an incredibly low sense of self-worth. But luckily for Yolanda, she had two parents who loved her and reminded her that she was special. Plus, she had a goal. After high school, she was going to get a college degree. In 1979, 18-year-old Yolanda enrolled in community college and started down the path to becoming a registered nurse. But it wouldn't be a straightforward four years for her. Soon after she started college, one of Yolanda's brothers got into legal trouble and could no longer take care of his three kids. Yolanda couldn't stand by and do nothing, so she became her niece and nephew's legal guardian. To help pay the bills, Yolanda started working at a dermatologist's office. 
Yolanda adored the kids, and she wouldn't have given them up for anything, but caring for them made it impossible to focus on her schoolwork. Even with a stable job, Yolanda struggled. She couldn't be a good student because she spent too many hours working. She couldn't shine at work because she was busy cramming in her studies. She constantly worried whether she was doing enough or if she was doing things the right way. Self-doubt ate away at her. And mixed in was an ever-growing desperation. She needed to do something to make everything easier, like get her hands on a little extra cash. Once the thought took hold in her mind, she couldn't get rid of it. At work, she had access to the dermatologist's business accounts. Surely her boss, Dr. Faustino Gomez, wouldn't notice if some of his money went missing. But in 1983, Dr. Gomez did notice some missing, $9,200 in fact, and there was only one person he could think of who would have the means to steal from him, or the motive. Dr. Gomez sued Yolanda for embezzlement. She was able to settle the dispute out of court, but that was the end of her job working in the dermatologist's office, of course. After that, Yolanda transferred to the University of Texas. It was time for a fresh start. In 1990, 29-year-old Yolanda got her nursing degree. It had taken her 10 years to do it, but she had persevered. After graduation, Yolanda got two jobs. During the day, she worked at a San Antonio hospice where she cared for terminally ill cancer patients. At night, she covered the evening shift at the San Antonio Chest Hospital. She was dedicated and took her nursing responsibilities seriously. Despite her rigorous schedule, Yolanda continued to feel like she wasn't doing enough. Her childhood scars were long-lasting, and her lack of self-confidence had followed her into adulthood. Her co-workers liked her well enough, but no one invited her out to drinks after work, nor did she try to connect with anyone else. As far as Yolanda was concerned, friends just weren't in the cards for her. Instead, Yolanda spent her free time with her niece and nephews. And one night in 1991, Yolanda's niece begged 30-year-old Yolanda to come with her to a concert. She wanted to see Tejano Music's biggest star, Selena Quintanilla. Yolanda would have preferred to stay at home, but she hated to disappoint her niece. She reluctantly agreed. But Yolanda's attitude changed the second she saw Selena. The 19-year-old singer lit up the stage, and 30-year-old Yolanda found herself mesmerized. Maria Celeste Arradas, author of Selena's Secret, suggests that at this moment, Yolanda had found something to be happy about. Perhaps she was tired of focusing on her own mundane existence. Instead, she would fixate on Selena, beautiful, talented, sensational Selena. Yolanda simply couldn't look away. After the concert, Yolanda went into the lobby to buy merchandise, only to discover that none was for sale. It seemed like an obvious business opportunity going to waste. Even if the band didn't want to sell anything themselves, usually a fan club did. But as far as she could tell, there was no fan club. 
As Yolanda stood in the lobby, an idea came to her. If she started a Selena fan club, she'd get to meet the singer and maybe even become a part of Selena's life. As it had happened so often before, once the idea formed in her mind, there was no getting rid of it. Yolanda searched the premises for anyone associated with Selena until she found Suzette Quintanilla, Selena's sister. Yolanda pounced. She pitched the woman her fan club idea. Suzette heard her out, but at the end of the day, all business decisions regarding Selena had to be approved by the singer's father, Abraham Quintanilla Jr. Suzette gave her Abraham's number and told her to call him. Yolanda later said she called him three times before he agreed to meet with her. According to Abraham, Yolanda called 15 times. Either way, she eventually managed to get an audience with the Quintanilla family patriarch. To everyone's surprise, he liked her. Normally, Abraham only allowed family members within his daughter's circle, but there was something about Yolanda he trusted. Chris Perez, Selena's husband, chalked it up to Yolanda's appearance. She was utterly non-threatening. This wasn't some young wannabe trying to ride Selena's coattails into her own spotlight. Yolanda seemed to be a genuine fan. Abraham gave Yolanda the green light. From that point on, she would be president of Selena's fan club. Yolanda was in. Abraham had unknowingly invited his daughter's killer into his inner circle. Up next, Yolanda makes herself indispensable to Selena. Hey listeners, I want to take a quick moment to introduce you to the newest ParCast original on the block. It's called Incredible Feats, and it's a short weekday show hosted by comedian Dan Cummins. Every weekday, Dan shares a true account of physical strength, mental focus, or genuine bizarre behavior, going behind the scenes and into the achievements of world-class athletes like Dean Carnassus, who once ran for nearly 81 hours without stopping, and performance artists like Lucky Diamond Rich, who boasts layers of tattoos in the most unlikely places, and even everyday people thrown into extraordinary circumstances, like Juliana Kopka, who was forced to survive alone in a rainforest for 11 days. Incredible Feats is offbeat entertainment that's sometimes weird, sometimes wonderful, and always surprising. New episodes air daily, Monday through Friday. Search Incredible Feats and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now, back to the story. In 1991... 30-year-old Yolanda Saldivar was working day and night as a nurse in San Antonio, Texas. 
But after seeing Tejano music star Selena Quintanilla perform, Yolanda found a new purpose. She would be the singer's number one fan. And with the approval of Selena's father, she started the star's official fan club and named herself president. Running the fan club was relatively simple. Anyone who signed up received a free newsletter about Selena's tour dates. And if they paid $22, new members received select merchandise. Yolanda threw herself into the fan club, busying herself recruiting new members. She hoped that her hard work would lead to a meeting with Selena herself. Sure enough, six months after starting the fan club, Yolanda's diligence paid off. In December of 1991, Yolanda finally came face to face with Selena. It was a moment of pure bliss for the 31-year-old nurse. And if Selena had seemed perfect up on stage, she was even more dazzling in person. Yolanda was simply obsessed with her. Selena took to Yolanda as well. Like the rest of her family, Selena trusted her immediately. She even started to ask her to do personal favors, like chauffeuring her and her sister around San Antonio. Yolanda was more than happy to oblige. That time spent in the car laid the foundation for a real camaraderie to grow. Selena found Yolanda to be a kindred spirit, and she adopted her as a sort of confidant, a true friend. She would take Yolanda to the mall or the nail salon, and their relationship deepened with each bonding activity. This was the first time in her life that Yolanda had a significant female friendship outside of her relatives. And it wasn't just with anyone. It was with Selena, the world's biggest Tejano music star. Yolanda couldn't believe that someone like Selena would give someone like her the time of day. The 20-year-old singer was beautiful, friendly, beloved. Everything Yolanda wasn't. At times, Yolanda worried. Surely all of this would end when Selena realized who Yolanda really was. Yolanda was determined to keep that from happening. She would do whatever it took to keep herself in Selena's good graces. So in 1993, when Selena asked if 32-year-old Yolanda would be her personal assistant, Yolanda didn't even blink. She said yes, quit her nursing jobs, and moved to Selena's hometown of Corpus Christi, Texas. It didn't matter that Yolanda had spent more than a decade working to be a nurse. The bleak interior of a hospital couldn't compare to the glitz and glamour of Selena's world. At the same time, Selena's career reached new heights. Her latest album went platinum, and her schedule grew busier by the day. But at every turn, there was Yolanda. Selena considered her new assistant a godsend. Yolanda endeared herself to Selena's family as well. Abraham was thrilled with the success of the fan club, which now had thousands of members. And Suzette, Selena's sister, loved Yolanda almost as much as Selena did. They treated Yolanda like a family member, inviting her to their private gatherings. She was even in Suzette's bridal party. It seemed like things were perfect, but under the surface, unforeseen problems threatened to boil over. 
After moving to Corpus Christi, Yolanda's whole life was about Selena. In fact, it depended on her. Yolanda plastered photos and posters of the star on her walls. All the paraphernalia she had collected about Selena was out on display, including a life-sized cardboard cutout of the star. In other words, Yolanda's home was a shrine. Yolanda demonstrated tendencies of celebrity worship syndrome, which, as its name implies, occurs when an individual's interest in a celebrity involves an intense obsession and reverence. According to Dr. Randy Sansoni, individuals who score high on a test of celebrity worship are more prone to fantasies and dissociation from reality. They're also more likely to engage in stalking. Of course, Yolanda didn't see her behavior as problematic. She wasn't a deranged fan. She was Selena's closest friend. While that may have been true, Yolanda's sense of their relationship was becoming twisted. She felt threatened by everyone else in Selena's life. Anytime that Selena gave someone else attention, Yolanda worried that she would be replaced. To prevent that from happening, Yolanda used her role as Selena's personal assistant to build a wall between the singer and anyone who might want to get close to her. Anyone who wanted to get to Selena had to go through Yolanda. She had complete control, and she hoped that this meant she could protect her friendship with Selena from outside forces. As Selena got busier, she was too focused on her career to notice her assistant's tactics. She handed over more and more control of her life to Yolanda. In fact, things were going so well in Selena's eyes that when she decided to open a clothing boutique in Corpus Christi, there was only one person she trusted to manage the day-to-day -day activities. So in January 1994, she promoted 33-year-old Yolanda to manager. A few months later, when Selena opened her second boutique in San Antonio, she asked Yolanda to oversee both locations. With the new promotion came a pay raise, along with a new credit card and cell phone to be used for business purposes. Selena felt great about her decision. She even told her husband, if I can't be there to do something, I'll feel better knowing that Yolanda will take care of it. But Yolanda had no business experience. She would never admit it to Selena, but she was in over her head. She had no idea how to run the boutiques, and she certainly didn't know how to manage other employees. This became apparent as she faced off with Martin Gomez, Selena's fashion designer. From the get-go, Yolanda and Martin disliked each other. She was threatened by his creative relationship with Selena. She often yelled at him and his seamstresses, gaslit employees about events that had never happened, and fired anyone who disagreed with her. Martin thought she was manipulative, controlling, and unhinged. He even claimed that she had destroyed some of his designs. Martin warned Selena about Yolanda. He claimed that employees were threatening to quit and that he was on the brink of quitting himself. But Selena couldn't believe that her friend and confidant would truly act that way. It must have been some misunderstanding. When Yolanda heard that Martin had gone to Selena to complain, she was furious. 
In retaliation, she started secretly recording their conversations, trying to get him to say something incriminating on the record so she could bring it to Selena. While Yolanda crossed the line with these tapes, she never actually had to use them. Eventually, Martin demanded that Selena buy him out of his contract. He wouldn't work there so long as Yolanda was still in charge. Selena agreed to his demands. She'd rather lose her designer than her friend. As for Yolanda, she had gotten exactly what she wanted. One less person to come between her and Selena. Before Martin left, he warned Selena about Yolanda. He told her, I just think it's kind of weird how Yolanda is trying to get in between you and everybody else. She's obsessed with you, and I'm a little scared of her. The warning went unheeded. Yolanda's desire to maintain her position in Selena's life continued. Her celebrity worship was already off the charts. Now her need for Selena's total attention and devotion became all-consuming. It even led her to try to drive a wedge between Selena and her husband, Chris Perez. The opportunity came at the band's annual party for their friends and family. All night, Yolanda watched as Selena and Chris moved from one group to another, talking and laughing with their bandmates and their families. Until finally, the couple briefly split apart. Yolanda knew it was now or never. Yolanda pulled Selena away from her conversation and told her that Chris had vandalized the restaurant bathroom. She hoped the lie would cause a fight between the two and endear herself further to Selena as a trusted confidant. Selena confronted Chris right away. After all, it wouldn't be the first time Chris had done something like this. Just a year before, he had drunkenly trashed a hotel room. But much to Yolanda's dismay, Chris told Selena that he wasn't the culprit. How could he be? He'd been at Selena's side all night. After that, the couple returned to the party and went back to chatting. Yolanda hated seeing Selena trust someone else's word over hers. She worried that if Chris ever turned against her, he might be able to persuade Selena to do the same thing. And Yolanda couldn't allow that to happen. She had worked too hard to get to where she was. She would just have to figure out another way to cement her standing in Selena's eyes forever. Up next, Yolanda makes her final play for Selena's devotion. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. 
Priceline. And now back to the story. By 1994, Yolanda Saldivar's entire life had changed. Three years earlier, she was working two demanding nursing jobs just to get by. Now, the 34-year-old was living in Corpus Christi, managing two high-end clothing boutiques, and was close friends with a bona fide celebrity. But with this new lifestyle came an intense paranoia that it might disappear at any moment. So Yolanda held on to it for dear life. Anyone who might threaten her relationship with Selena had to go. She fired employees who might badmouth her. She tried to sabotage Selena and her husband's marriage. And all the while, she played the part of the perfect friend. And Selena seemed to be in denial about Yolanda's behavior. Even when she heard rumors or complaints, she waved them off. They simply couldn't be true. For three years, Yolanda had been a dear friend and business advisor. Selena trusted her. When Selena decided to open a third clothing boutique, this one in Monterrey, Mexico, she didn't think twice about enlisting Yolanda's help. And this time, she really needed it. Selena wasn't fluent in Spanish, but Yolanda was. As a result, Selena regularly took Yolanda along to business meetings in Mexico. But even as Selena leaned more and more on her friend, Yolanda felt threatened by the other people surrounding the singer. She sought constant validation that Selena needed her, that she was the first in Selena's eyes. She started to test whether this was the case. Whenever Selena was in San Antonio, Yolanda insisted on going everywhere with her, or sometimes she called Selena at odd hours and demanded they leave for Monterey for an impromptu business meeting. When Selena didn't agree to her request, Yolanda would get irritated, as if she were the one with the power in the relationship and not the other way around. This is a common tactic in manipulative relationships, where one individual tries to lord obligation and guilt over the other party. Unfortunately for Yolanda, it didn't seem to work on Selena. Worried that her latest methods might start to backfire on her, Yolanda changed tactics. It was back to being the submissive, adoring assistant. And what better way to show her appreciation for Selena than with a gift? In December of 1994, Yolanda presented Selena with a beautiful gold ring with a white gold egg set on top of it. 52 tiny glittering diamonds were embedded in the egg. And on the 14-carat band itself, an S was engraved three times. Selena absolutely loved it. But what Yolanda didn't tell her was that she had charged the ring to Selena's corporate business account. It wasn't a gift. Selena had paid for the ring herself, to the tune of $3,000. By the start of 1995, Yolanda's actions began to catch up to her. The employees from Selena's boutiques finally voiced their complaints about Yolanda to Abraham. The staff had been cut nearly in half due to her improper management and tendency to fire anyone she didn't like. Plus, the business's paperwork wasn't making sense, with money missing and charges on credit cards that weren't accounted for. 
And then, Selena's father started receiving calls from upset fans who had claimed they had sent in their dues but had received none of the promised merchandise. Abraham started digging into the records, and what he saw shocked him to his core. Yolanda had embezzled thousands of dollars from Selena. On March 9, 1995, Abraham, Selena, and her sister Suzette asked Yolanda to a meeting. Yolanda strode into the offices, unaware of what awaited her. But after she sat down, Abraham got straight to business, confronting Yolanda with the inconsistent accounts. He demanded to know what had happened, but all Yolanda could manage to do was repeat a weak, I don't know. Abraham fired her on the spot and threatened to sue her for embezzlement. Suzette screamed at her, calling her a thief and liar. But Yolanda was only concerned with Selena, who was now looking at her with utter disappointment. Selena had trusted Yolanda completely, and she had betrayed her. The singer could forgive a lot, but not this. Now completely cut off from Selena, Yolanda spiraled. Everything she had feared was coming true. Without the singer, Yolanda would be nothing, no one. She'd have to go back to living in her parents' home and working multiple jobs. She wasn't going to let that happen. If only she could explain herself, she was sure she could get Selena back on her side. She could fix all of this. The next day, she returned to the Q Productions offices, only to be immediately thrown off the premises. Frustrated and desperate, Yolanda decided to try another tactic. If she couldn't get to Selena, she'd make Selena come to her. Yolanda stole the boutique's financial records and left town with them. Now it was just a matter of time until Selena came calling. Two days later, on March 11th, Yolanda went to a San Antonio gun range that doubled as a gun shop. She wasn't sure what she would do with it yet, but she knew she'd have more bargaining power with a firearm at her side. She walked confidently up to the counter and asked the employee behind the desk for help. She claimed she was a private home nurse who needed protection from a patient's family who had threatened her. The sympathetic clerk gladly helped. Together, they picked out a Taurus Model 45, 38 caliber snub-nosed pistol. Then Yolanda was told to come back three days later after they'd completed a background check. While Yolanda waited, the Quintanillas tried to get a hold of her. They knew that Yolanda had the financial records and wanted them back. But Yolanda refused to answer their calls. When her background check came back clean, Yolanda picked up her pistol and ammunition. Only then did she call Selena back. She asked Selena to meet her at a restaurant on the outskirts of town. On March 15th, Yolanda met Selena in the restaurant's parking lot. She slid into the passenger seat of Selena's car, excited to be back in the star's presence. 
But Selena was much colder than Yolanda had anticipated. The singer skipped a personal greeting and instead demanded the stolen records. Slowly, Yolanda handed over some of the documents, but held on to a key few. She'd expected Selena to welcome her back with open arms, but now she saw that she'd need to do more than hand over the records. She'd need to appeal to the singer's compassion. So Yolanda spun a tale about receiving threatening phone calls from Selena's father. This was why she'd taken the documents, she said, out of fear for her own safety. And then, testing the waters, Yolanda said, maybe I should work someplace else. This is too much for me. But that wasn't what Yolanda wanted at all. She was using reverse psychology. What she really wanted was for Selena to tell her that she forgave her and that she needed her by her side. According to psychologists Jeff McDonald, Paul R. Nail, and Jesse R. Harper, this kind of reverse psychology, called strategic self-anti-conformity, may have been a risky ploy on Yolanda's part. First, there was the obvious drawback of Selena possibly agreeing with Yolanda and letting her go right then and there. But second, even if the reverse psychology worked, it didn't necessarily mean Yolanda would be happy in the long run. Yolanda would always be wondering if Selena really meant what she said, or if it was only the result of the manipulation. Individuals who use reverse psychology often find themselves constantly retesting the other person. For Selena's part, she still wanted the rest of her business records, so instead of sending Yolanda away, Selena appealed to Yolanda's neediness. She told her that she was essential if they were to open a boutique in Mexico. No matter what, Yolanda couldn't quit, not when they were so close. Selena had said the magic words. As soon as Yolanda heard that the singer still wanted her, needed her, she was back to being the cheerful and happy Yolanda who Selena had once known. Almost as an aside, Yolanda asked Selena if she wanted to see something. The singer agreed, only for Yolanda to reach into her purse and pull out the gun. Yolanda said she had gotten it for protection. Selena was naturally alarmed and told Yolanda to return it right away. After their meeting, Yolanda did just that. Believing that she and Selena were back on good terms, she was happy to do as the singer requested. But over the next two weeks, something changed. Yolanda likely began to doubt that Selena really meant what she said about wanting her around. According to psychologist Jeff McDonald, this kind of doubt occurs because the manipulator knows the positive feedback received was not provided with full autonomy. This knowledge can lead to an intensifying cycle of more need for reassurance, more doubt over that reassurance, and ultimately frustration, helplessness, and depression. Yolanda returned to the gun store for a third and final time. There, she repurchased the exact same weapon as before, the Taurus Model 45 38 caliber pistol. On March 30, 1995, she called Selena and asked her to meet her at the Days Inn Motel alone. Desperate for her business records and tired of this game of cat and mouse, Selena 
agreed. In room 158, Yolanda waited. She figured she would play to Selena's compassion again, since that worked the last time. Then, after the singer was more sympathetic, Yolanda could fix things. So, when Selena walked into the room and asked about the documents, Yolanda broke down in tears. She told Selena a story about being sexually assaulted in Mexico that morning. She showed Selena clothes she had ripped up and told her they had been torn by her assailant. Selena offered to take Yolanda to the hospital, but Yolanda didn't want to go. She knew that the doctors wouldn't find any real evidence of the assault. For her part, Selena seemed skeptical and left. This just made Yolanda panic more. Their meeting hadn't gone the way she had wanted, and now she worried that Selena might never come back. In desperation, Yolanda called Selena and told her she had changed her mind about the hospital. She would go. But it was the middle of the night, so Selena told her she'd pick her up first thing in the morning. All night, Yolanda tossed and turned, worried that she'd driven Selena away. She needed to know that the singer still wanted her in her life. On the morning of March 31, 1995, Selena picked up Yolanda at the motel and brought her to the hospital. After an exam, nurses found no sign of sexual assault. Selena believed that Yolanda had made up the entire story. The two women returned to the motel, and Selena, fed up with Yolanda's continued lies, demanded her documents once more. Yolanda handed over some papers and a cell phone, but it still wasn't everything. Desperate to find the missing paperwork, Selena took Yolanda's bag and turned it upside down. The gun dropped onto the bed. The two women stared at it for a moment, and then Yolanda lunged forward and grabbed it. Selena froze, panicked, but Yolanda didn't point the gun at Selena. She raised it first to her own head. Thanks again for tuning in to Female Criminals. We'll be back next week with part two of Yolanda Saldivar. We'll cover Selena's murder, Yolanda's attempts to escape arrest, and the sensational trial that captured the nation's attention. For more information on Yolanda Saldivar, amongst the many sources we used, we found To Selena with Love by Chris Perez and Selena's Secret by Maria Celeste Arraras, extremely helpful to our research. Female Criminals was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Mike Ramos, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Female Criminals was written by Alex Burns, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Hey, Parcasters, don't forget to check out the brand new Spotify original from Parcast, Incredible Feats. Join host Dan Cummins as he explores true accounts of weird, wonderful, and all-out wild achievements. New episodes premiere daily Monday through Friday. Search Incredible Feats and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.